Detroit Tiger fans, are you ready for the most exhilarating event of the summer? Get ready for the 6th Annual Motor City Metrics MLB Draft Show. Hosted by your very own Chris Brown and Rogelio Castillo, we're exploring one of the deepest MLB drafts in recent memory. Who will rise for the pack? Will the Detroit Tigers secure an impact bat with their pick? This is the first draft in the Scott Harris era, and you don't want to miss it. Be part of the excitement witness the future of baseball unfold on the Motor City Metrics MLB Draft Show. Join us Sunday, July 9th on the Motor City Metrics YouTube channel and the Tiger Miley Report YouTube channel for the first round of coverage. All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to the late night edition of the Motor City Metrics podcast. This is episode 19. Um, we got coming off some good vibes. This was probably going to be a pretty negative podcast and until what transpired in the ninth inning of tonight's game. Um, yeah, let's just get into it, man. What did you guys uh, see from the game tonight? I think we all want to talk about that and just kind of the relief of ending that nine-game losing streak. Well, I'd say one of the big things that came out of that was we found out that Simo does a really good Forrest Gump impression. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, it was the player. It was the players' only broadcast, and things got a little wild there for for most of the middle innings when they were. Todd Jones was wandering the park, eating Starburst, and and talking to a guy on his twenty first birthday. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you know it. It. I think you have to feel good for Spencer Torkelson for having a game like that. You also, I think, you feel good for Andy Ibanez, who yeah. has been struggling like crazy, but really not in in like a way that made a whole lot of sense. You know, he, he just he, he wasn't striking out a ton. He just wasn't having hits fall. So it was nice to see both of those guys get a good game. And uh, it's always nice to win a bullpen game, right? They didn't. Uh, he came to this game with no starter and came out and beat. <laughs> Charlie Morton was uh, outstanding. Yes, he was. But he can he can only pitch so many innings, and he's probably hurt or something, or, or something was tweaked. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of good stuff. Uh, makes you think that maybe the Braves might want to trade for another reliever, and uh, the Tigers have a couple. So there you go. Yeah, I would love to see, like, the win probability for that game because if you would have told me when they were down and Charlie Morton was pitching, I would have told you there's no way they were winning that game. Uh, but, yeah, what did you want to add, Uber? Well, it was, you know, when you go back to Torkelson, obviously he started off the night with a, a nice single, but then he popped up twice with runners in scoring position. So, you know, uh, what people are saying out there, uh, the, the B word uh, is getting attached to him more and more. Uh, but the home run was really heartening to see because that was, that qualifies as a bomb. Okay. That was no fence scraper. That thing was gone. And that's the kind of big time power you know, he's had great exit velocities, but he just hasn't quite had the lift uh, to get that kind of power. That was really encouraging. Uh, and then he got a little gift at the end, and the end RBI, the guy didn't catch it, so he gets another hit too. So good for him. Yeah, we talked about on the last pot, he was hitting like 100 in the month of June. And now his numbers look a little more respectable. They're not as good as they were in May, but, you know, his OPS is approaching 700. I think league average is like 730. So he's he's getting there. Um, but yeah, really good game for him. Good game for Ibanez. Even Tyler Alexander had a really nice game out of the bullpen. Um, it was a good win for the Tigers, a surprising win. But um, yeah, they they needed it so badly. I mean, let's face it. That's that's an understatement. Losing the way they've lost lately, losing nine in a row, things were looking relatively hopeless. <laughs> They're down again tonight. Uh, it should do a lot for their collective psyche moving forward. 
Although they, you know, the old saying, you're only as good as your next day starting pitcher. So who knows? But uh, it was it was good to see them get off to Schneid and get that win. Yeah, especially with them losing the, they lost to the Diamondbacks in a close game. I believe they were one strike away from beating the Diamondbacks. They also lost in the ninth inning to the Phillies. So they had two two games. They really kind of lost there at the end, which were disheartening. Uh, thank you to Bloodright again coming through. Ten dollars, patron. Yes. Do you guys want to do uh, anything? I, exquisite. Um, oh, you know, good, the, good. The, I don't know what to say. Blood right, he, he, he's always given us money. I feel bad. He's, he's just like uh, an allowance when I was a kid with my parents. <laughs> Blood right, can um, you, uh, who are, who are you, Blood right? Can we get some, like, <laughs> some who information? Are you? I, I don't want to know any more information. Okay. Just yeah. keep that, keep that gravy train rolling. <laughs> Anonymous benefactor. I will say to your point, John. I, I don't know, you know, the the sonic sort of win probability, but after Jake Rogers grounded out to end the eighth inning, Tigers had a three percent chance of winning that game. Wow! There and, you go. Uh, so there you are. Yeah, one of their better comebacks of the year, certainly. And, oh, and oh, go ahead. Sorry. It, it, well, yeah. I mean, it, it you know games like that feel fun when you're on this side of it, right? That's essentially the sort of game that happened when they lost the Diamondbacks, the Tigers just have to be on the other side of it. It's like, well, that sucks a lot, especially when it's, you know, in the middle of a super long losing streak. So it is, it is funny how one game could kind of wash away some, some bad feelings and some reality, honestly. Uh, I think the Tigers are much closer to that team that was losing all those games than they are to the team that fought back tonight, <laughs> but still only five games out of first place. There you five go. games out of first, baby. Well, it just shows you what a little dose of power can do. Uh, you know, it, it can eliminate deficits quickly. Uh, they've have been so power deficient uh, to see a game like this where, where the bats break out and hit a couple long balls. Uh, they deserve to win tonight. So good for them. Uh, although it was very funny, a big play tonight in the 10th inning. I thought Jake Rogers' bunt was so bad, it confused the Braves a little. <laughs> if it was just a regular old bunt, they might make a play there. Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to shout out Zach Short as well, because I think he's been giving the Tigers really consistent at-bats. Every time I, I feel like he's up to bat, he's hitting the ball hard somewhere, and he had obviously the hit in the ninth inning to tie it. So I honestly, I tweeted, I think he's one of the Tigers. He looks like one of the Tigers' best hitters right now, um, and I think the numbers back that up. Well, you know, it's something I looked into it just the other day, um, and, and Short is the only player on the Tigers uh, with, with whom the – uh, or where they have a winning record when he's in the lineup. Every other player on the team, they've got a losing record. <laughs> he's the only one. It's probably just a coincidence, but he has been playing well. And it's, it's like, yeah, at a certain point you go, okay, well, more playing time for you. He was he made a couple of really nice plays at second base. And uh, yeah, it, it, you know, they're getting any contributions they can from anybody at this point. And even though he, he they, they lost the game against the Diamondbacks, I was impressed. He came in late in that game. Uh, and it was a small play, but it was the first play of the inning. He was fresh off the bench. He had a very tough play at second base, and he just handled that thing so smoothly. I was impressed by that. I mean, that's a guy like him, ha that's what he has to be. He has to be ready to contribute at a moment's notice when they need him. And uh, he's been up to that task so far, no question. Yeah, and one guy I wanted to touch on also was Kerry Carpenter, who uh, returned over these last couple games. He started out like eight for 11. I think he had three hits. Um, I think his first like two out of three games, he had three hits in those games, um, had another hit tonight. I mean, how much does it mean to get him back? And also you had Matt Veerling back as well, who had two hits for the Tigers. Um, how big is that? And, you know, 
Kerry Carpenter looks like he's going to be the cleanup hitter for the Tigers moving forward. It's yeah, I mean, it's certainly nice to have a guy with some pop in the lineup, and uh, and you know he's been hitting well. He had that nice uh, throw the other day. Uh, you know, he also added a bobble that wasn't great, but um, <laughs> yeah, any any bat you can get right now. I mean, we we talked about it over and over again. This is a, a terrible offense overall in terms of just the way they produce, the way they produce with runners in scoring position, all that. So anybody with a pulse really helps, and and Gary Carpenter seems to. I mean, we still don't quite know what he is as a big leaguer, right? Like, we just he hasn't had a ton of experience, but he's performed every time he plays, basically. Like, he's had some slow stretches at times, but overall, he's been a, a well above average offensive con- con- uh, contributor, I think. I haven't looked at his career WRC Plus, but last I checked, I thought it was like 120. So, yeah, it's nice to have that back. And I, I, I need somebody to talk to him about what uh, led him to start wearing those do-rags or bandanas or whatever he's doing <laughs> under his helmet. <laughs> well... Whatever works for him, you know. Uh, I'm just in, I'm always, I, I'm very interested in his approach uh, because sometimes he looks like he's just trying to steer things to the opposite field, uh, and he's kind of spraying it over there, and then suddenly, boom, he'll turn on one. Uh, you know, I, I just I would love to know what his mindset is on how he makes that decision mentally, uh, what pitch he's looking for to turn on versus the ones he serves to uh, the opposite field. But I like his approach. He, I I've always thought his swing looks a little stiff. But it's effective. It really is. And um, hopefully he continues on this path. Well, we know that Carpenter's hitting coach, his personal hitting coach, is on Twitter. He's uh, an irascible sort. He's not the most pleasant gentleman. He's also Aaron Judge's hitting coach. Okay. Uh, And so he he points to these two. He's had some success there. There are also like eight other guys who have struggled like crazy. (laughs) He's coached. So, I mean, I think it's important to remember that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to hitting but whatever Carpenter's doing it's it's certainly seems to be working you know this is a guy who was was uh an afterthought at best a couple of yeah. years ago and, and here he is like hey probably should be hitting third or fourth for the Tigers so it's cool yeah so he has uh OPS of 807 and 189 career at bats so yeah very small sample size um but yeah he's been a welcome addition um, and I know we've been really positive to start the show, which I don't think we expected to, but a guy I want to talk about is Javier Baez. Cause I've been seeing a lot of conversation with him online. He had the, the play that some people weren't even calling a highlight where he bobbled the ball and then flipped it to third, uh, Baez on the season 585 OPS. Um, what do you guys kind of make of his season and seemingly the fans are getting more and more upset and kind of throwing more shade at Baez. Well, you know, he had the one hot stretch after the benching in Toronto. Uh, He certainly has that capability uh, where um, he can go on a run for a couple weeks at a time and and help carry a team. And I'm sure he will again over the course of the summer, because that's just kind of been his uh, MO over the course of his career. But uh, I, I had a kind of a joking tweet earlier today. I called, and this is an old joke, but I called him the human ceiling fan, right? I mean, that's kind of what he is at the plate. He, uh, he waves at a lot of stuff. And uh, I, I'm always amazed any major league pitcher throws him a strike. Uh, I certainly wouldn't until I was absolutely back against the wall. I had to throw him one. Uh, I would be throwing junk and let him, let him get himself out. It's maddening. You can't imagine this. Uh, you know, anybody who played through American Legion or high school ball 
can't imagine some of the pitches he throws swings at consistently. Uh, it's it's so frustrating, but that's who he is, and it's unlikely to change. And he's probably around for four more years. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the thing that mystifies me about Baez is, is is just where the power went. Like we we all expected him to strike out a lot. We knew that coming in. We knew he was going to expand the zone. He's actually been much. He's still swinging, missing, you know, and, and swings at pitches that seemed like he had no business offering at. But he's improved that aspect of his game a lot, actually, at least in terms of striking out. But the power just disappeared. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a product of his approach. Uh, you know, I don't want to say he's like a petulant teenager who's like, uh, who's like, okay, if you're going to make me not strike out, then I'm not going to hit power either. I, I'm not suggesting that. But it almost feels like like to get that power hitting bias, you need to accept that uh, fishing expedition bias. And I don't know, like... You see the plays, like there was a play, he made an error tonight, maybe two, but he had one where he bobbled it and then recovered and made a really heady play. He's just, that's just who he is. I think he's a really volatile player and he's he's not the guy you want to build your team around. He's a great fourth, fifth piece on a team, I think. Yeah. He's, he's a guy that, that could be electric at times and can come up with big hits and really benefit you when you've got some other good players there. But if you're basing things on him, he's just too, too up and down. Uh, but that's the way the all roster is built right now. So there's not much we can do about it. And, you know, you're right. I 100% agree. If, he, if he's in your second tier of producers and he's a guy who can go on his little three-week run where he really helps the team, but he's your sixth or seventh guy, yeah, that's fantastic. You know, that's kind of Craig Monroe-ish from back in the day. I mean, he could carry a team for a couple weeks and then disappear. Yeah, I think other thing I look at with Baez is I was seeing some comments online about like how he potentially doesn't want to be here. Do you could you guys ever see it getting to that point where potentially the Tigers have to you know cut bait with them of some sort or if the relationship gets that bad? Because I've seen rumors about that, or like you know people speculating he doesn't want to be here. Like he, I, I don't know what to make of that. Well, in terms of the opt out. You know, he would have to really want to go and play somewhere that he wants to be in order to turn down that money, right? I mean, just it just makes, to the common man anyway, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? I mean, you're going to take that cash because he's not going to find that on the open market again. Uh, so he would make, you know, some fraction of it, what, I think maybe 30% tops uh, on the open market. So has he made enough money in his lifetime so far and then by taking a small contract, would still have money coming in to opt out. I think there's less than a 2% chance of that, to be honest with you. Um, uh, so then it'd be the Tigers, yeah, cutting bait and uh, working out some kind of deal to pay them off uh, over time. So uh, it doesn't sound too attractive. And I can't imagine Chris Illich finds that a very appealing idea. <laughs> no, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier today because I, I posted a snarky thing about, you know, the Tigers have, uh, bias for four more years. I just was thinking about the the old you know, like uh, election chant. I was like, huh, four more years. That's yeah. <laughs> pleasing myself in that way. Um, and uh, and and so then I was like, what's what's the the longest amount of a contract left for a player to ever have just been released? And I don't think it's anywhere close to four years. It might be two, maybe. Um, I, it feels more like a one and a half. I don't know. Like there have been instances where I think the Angels basically cut bait with Josh Hamilton. Yeah. But I think they worked out a trade for basically nothing. 
in eight all salary, I think, and just gave him to the Rangers for something. Um, maybe, maybe there's a scenario where the Mets remember Baez being good for them at second base. Uh, or the, I mean, I don't think so. I don't think the Cubs would be, you know, knocking down the door to get Baez back. So I don't think there's a real, you know, eat a salary and you get anything back for him. I think it's, it's, you're stuck with them for at least, uh, at least two years, probably three. Yeah. I think this is a perfect segue that we're talking about bias. Cause one thing I wanted to touch on was the Alavila interview. We finally heard from Alavila. I think he was on Todd Frazier's podcast. I think it's called foul territory. Uh, he was asked like, what are some moves he regretted? He named Justin Verlander trade. Oh, well, he named another trade. I can't remember what other trade he named, but he also mentioned some trades that he thought, you know, were good. Like the Nicholas Castellanos trade. He mentioned the Shane green for Joey Winch trade. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was kind of interested to hear what he said. Um, I watched Chris Castanelli's video. He mentioned the free agent signings that Avila made. And with us talking about Bi- uh, Baez, that was kind of one thing I saw was like Baez was like Al Avila's last gift to Tigers fans was signing Baez to that six-year deal. <laughs> uh, but what did you guys, did you see the video? And what did you kind of make of his comments here and from Al Avila who, you know, the Detroit Tigers, as we know it, Alavila is probably the most responsible for the product we have on the field right now. I I watched it um, as somebody who you know does these podcasts. I know that it's difficult to speak on camera and give public speaking interviews or whatever like that. But I was, as always, kind of taken aback by by I guess how poor of a public speaker he is. <laughs> not not and I don't like listen. You know, I, I use um and er and, and all that stuff too, but this is the general manager of a team and he was hemming and hawing for like 30 seconds, it felt like. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I was I was amazed he actually went on there and talked at all because what what can you say? It 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 actually kind of sounded to me like he still feels like he's a member of the Tigers, which I get, right? But he was he was saying we did this and we did that and and he mentioned how he regretted the the Austin Meadows trade because of uh, what Brodies has done and yeah, he was like, you know, pointing to Reese Olsen and Alex Lang as, as wins. And it's like, well, okay, but that's because you guys were so awful that you just you know, were able to get something for, for a couple of players. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know what, what really to say about it. He He's yeah. the former GM, and uh, he tried to accentuate the positives while sort of acknowledging some of the negatives, but not really that much. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised he gave the interview at all. But it's fine. He, you know... <laughs> He, he came close to being honest about everything and up front. Uh, give him credit for that. You know, there's not much to say. Uh, the, the proof is you look at the, at the record. You are what your record says you are, as Parcells used to say, right? Um, there was a lot of things that went wrong. Some of it was bad luck. Some of it was poor decision-making. Some of it probably gets kicked up to the owner before the general manager, but no matter how you count it, all of it just came into a mess. Uh, that's it just came. It's you know he started with a couple of bad deals potentially when he took the job. Uh, had a lot of work to do, and showed that he was never really quite up to the task. Uh, the Zimmerman signing blew up on him right away, and that kind of uh, things were kind of downhill from there you know, for a lot of respects. So the big thing is we're in a different era now. Scott Harris is here. It's a regime that who knows if they're going to be any good. We don't know. But you know they're not going to clean house now, right? Not in year one. So 
we're kind of in a, at least probably a, a three to six year pattern here with Scott Harris to see how it's going to be different from Avila uh, and what changes and what's noticeable. Uh, that's going to be really interesting more so than even looking back at Avila because we can blame Avila all day long for Marcelo Meyer and blah, 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 but we're moving on. Yeah. And that's exactly where I wanted to go. Cause we did have a comment in the chat from Christopher who said, where is Scott Harris? He doesn't seem to talk too much. And that was kind of my thinking is with Scott Harris, how he's been running things with Abanya struggling for as long as he did, he continued to stick with him. Nick Mates on has continued to struggle, but he stuck with him in the lineup. Is this kind of how Scott Harris is going to do things or he just doesn't really have any options. And then in terms of like Scott Harris and not really hearing from him, um, what do you guys kind of make of the job he's done overall? Well, I mean, maybe I, I am misremembering things, but I don't particularly remember hearing from Dave Dabrowski or Alavila all that often either during the season, right? You, you hear from them around draft time, around trade season. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's it's one thing as fans, we don't hear from them. We also hear that the beat writers basically can't find them, can't talk to them, things like that. But that seems to be his MO. I mean, this is where a different regime. <laughs> uh, so I don't, I don't really know what to make of, uh, of what he's doing. We know that he's certainly been more active in terms of the scrap heap, if you will, claiming players on waivers. Some of them have worked out pretty well or fairly well, right? Uh, some of them have not. I think Tyler Holton has worked out pretty well. Banyas has been, you know, up and down. I wouldn't claim that as a huge success, but uh, he's played. Uh, but we, we know he's doing that. But I don't know. I, even I came into the season thinking that he was not going, that Scott Harris wasn't going to put up with sort of poor performance for very long. And that hasn't really been the case. We've seen a lot of guys playing poorly for extended stretches and they're still there. Maybe that's just the fact that they don't have other options, really. Like it, maybe if, if Andre Lipsius had been crushing in AAA, they would have tried him instead of Nick Maton, but he wasn't. Yeah. Or, you know, if Justin Henry Malloy kept hitting after April, they may have tried him, but he fell off pretty hard. Parker Meadows hasn't done a ton in AAA. It's like all the guys that were kind of, you know, he talked about earmarking playing time for the young guys. Well, none of the young guys have really earned it, unfortunately. So I don't know if, it, and everybody always says like, oh, well, they can't be any worse than this guy and this guy and this guy. And it's like, but maybe, but uh, it, what if they are exactly as bad and then they're young players and their confidence is destroyed and you can never do it again. But. Yeah, that's that was just my thing is he just probably doesn't think he has any better options. But that's kind of what we thought is if we if you would have told me Nick Mateson would struggle this bad, Scope has been this bad, Ibanya has struggled as bad as he would, but these guys are still getting at bats every day, which kind of just speaks to the depth of the Tigers right now. Well, you know, they they, they didn't have a very productive offseason, right? And I don't think they tried to. Um, yep. So once – that first layer of depth was pierced. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know what else they could have done. Uh, unless, as Chris was saying, if, if, if Ronde Lipsius was hitting 320, okay, fine, but he wasn't. Um, so I just don't have a good feeling for him yet. I think we're going to learn so much at this trade deadline of what he values uh, and, and what kind of deals he can swing. We're going to learn a lot uh, in the first, you know, three to five to ten, even first ten rounds of this draft, how they allot their money. Things will start coming together about 
an impression of Scott Harris because he does make it a mystery. He, he, he is a man of mystery. He disappears. You know, I think Dombrowski at least seemed like he was around, but the batting practice, I think some journalists, I bet talked to him off the record more. He mm-hmm. just seemed like he was in the mix. And from what you hear, Harris is just not there. You know, he's off in a room somewhere. I don't know, but <laughs> hard to say. Yeah. No, I mean, that does seem to be the impression so far. I, I don't know. I mean, there are different styles of leadership, I guess, or, or running a management, if you will. Uh, he may be, remember, think back to the movie Moneyball, right, where uh, mm-hmm. Billy Bean was like, uh, hey, you you go fire him. Or, you know, you you go tell him he's cut. You, uh, you know, that sometimes uh, guys need to learn that. Sometimes guys just want to do things from afar. I, I don't think people are going to like it until the Tigers start winning. If yeah. if he, he does it this way and the Tigers win, everybody's going to love it. Nobody will care. Where's Scott Harris? Who cares? They're winning. Uh, <laughs> they're losing right now. People want to see him. But I, if you're Scott Harris, what do you say? Well, you know, the things I, I thought for sure we were going to win a bunch of games and now we aren't. And, uh, you know, all the players I got suck. That's that's not what he's going to say. He's just like, hey, you know, we're, we're – we're doing what we can. We're making one baseball move at a time. We're trying to dominate the strikes. Just all his 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 particular individual cliches are going to come out, and I don't think you're going to get a whole lot from that. I don't know if he's you know walking through the locker room every day and talking to players. Doesn't sound like it, but I, who knows? I it, uh, maybe I'll have to get down there a couple times. Yeah, um, but yeah, we did have a couple comments or questions in the chat. But is there anything else you guys wanted to go over talk about? Mm. You know, I, I want to run a question past Chris. All right. Draft. Gotcha. We're getting closer. Uh-huh. Let's, say, let's say first two picks, Cruz Langford. Now you're down mm-hmm. to Skeens and the two high school bats. And maybe Teal, the catcher, if you want to throw him in. Where are you going? Mm-hmm. Where is the Scott Harris, Chris Brown brain if trust? It's, if it's me, I take Walker Jenkins. I'm happy. Taking that, I love that swing, big body. I think he's going to grow into power, athletic. Looks like a, a future, you know, all-star corner outfielder. I do get the idea though that the Tigers might go Kyle Teal, just based on the, the all the speculation on online, and that's the one pick. And, and I mentioned this on the the minor league podcast last night. That Teal is the one pick that you can make, and then really start to do some draft pool shenanigans because yeah if he doesn't if teal doesn't go three he's probably going six or below so you can probably shave a million and a half off his bonus and still get him for more than he would otherwise make so then you but then you know it becomes the sport of hey can you float so and so all the way down that far or who's still available can you buy him out of his stanford commit or virginia commit or whatever um that would that would be the kind of all things being equal i would just i i would hope they take the best player I hope Langford's there for them and they take him and, and we're all, you know, everybody's happy about it. And you know, he might work out. He might not, but he seems mm-hmm. like the the best player that's going to be there at three. But if he's not there, if it is Cruz Langford, then sure. Give me Teal. Uh, and let's have some weird fun spreading the bonus pool around. Uh, but personally, I would take Jenkins. But Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That's so Teal, he's the catcher, right? Yeah. Virginia. What, what is his ceiling? Is he like, cause I'm thinking if you're taking a catcher that high, you're, Wow, Adley Rushman, Buster Posey, all-star, everyday guy. Is he, does he have that type of ceiling? I, You know, I, w- I wouldn't put that level of first overall franchise. I mean, you know, Posey didn't go first overall. He should have, but the Rays got a little funny. Yeah. Um, they, uh, I wouldn't put that level of ceiling on him, but 
he's a he's a guy who was highly regarded heading into the 2020 draft, but it was the 2020 draft. And so lots of guys slipped through the cracks there. We saw because you know Cruz was a highly regarded guy, but he didn't have a great summer. And so he just decided to go to school. Colt Keith probably would have gone to school, but it turned out he didn't want to. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so the Tigers got a, a deal there. That's another thing we were kind of contemplating today. Like, what would junior Colt Keith be doing at Arizona State right now? <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, so Teal is, is a left-handed hitting catcher. He's an above-average athlete. Uh, he's hitting like 425 this year, something like that. Has uh, 12, 14 home runs. He's, so there's some average, above-average power. I think average above-average hitter. Good plate discipline. Strong arm. Good defender behind the plate. He's also athletic enough to play other positions the outfield, maybe even third base. So there's some, there's some floor there. It's, um, you know, in an ordinary draft, he's probably a top five pick most of the time. This is that one weird draft where you've got five guys who, who would potentially be a number one pick in, in other years. Uh, but it would, it would be, it would feel a little bit like the smartest guy in the room move, like a Jackson Job move, but I, I could see it there. I don't think the catcher of the future is in the tiger system right now, unfortunately. So, exactly uh, right. I agree with that. And and even if he is just a platoon catcher, you're getting the strong side of the platoon there. So that, that works out. But How I don't know. Do you him a little bit and say he's a Joe Maurer light? Well, I mean, yeah, that's fine. That's, a, that's uh, an MVP. Yeah. I said light. Yeah. Maurer light. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you could – you got you to largely maybe hit over power guy, but still going to hit enough and have enough extra base pop to, to, you know, give you some run production. I could see it that way. It's always tough when you make comps to yeah. Joe Mauer's Mauer's gonna be a Hall of Famer. <laughs> so it's like eh. borderline. Yes, yes. I, I think I think he should be because catchers are, are woefully underrepresented in, in although I think he played like his last 700, 800 games at first base, maybe, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how many, but yeah. yeah. Well, I just it was, it basically for me it was the you know high high average and left handed bat. That's the only reason yeah. I was, I was yeah. Uh yeah, but uh, oh, did you have anything to add, you? No, 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 no. Just wanted okay. Chris's opinion on that. Yeah, so I had a question too, but I, would, I mean, if you have an opinion on it too, but it was about Chase Young, because I know he's been playing well down in the minors. He has an OPS of about eight fifty right now. Um, I know we talked about him a little bit on the last pod, but has you know he changed any? Has he changed your mind, Chris? Or I don't know if you've paid attention to him or is just is Jace Young a, a future starter for the Tigers? Is that kind of his ceiling right now? I am I would put his ceiling as an everyday regular, I guess. I, I'm still, I think, lower than a lot of people on Young. I think Rogelio has started to, to warm up to him a little bit. He had that great week where he was player of the week. He had a big game last week, but he also did basically not much in the other four games of the week. And to me, it's more about just the visual evaluation of him. There's just a lot of, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when Torkelson started in West Michigan and wasn't hitting the ball. And, and a lot of it was like, he's missing pitches right over the heart of the plate or a, a fastball at the top of the zone, but over the middle and he's swinging right through it. Um, now when he connects, he's doing some damage, which is, was uh, one of my concerns heading into this year. It was like, I didn't see any real power from him last year. It was, everything was kind of weak fly balls to the opposite field. He's, He's putting a charge into some balls now, which is nice to see, but it's still, you know, it's still hard to project him as a, an above average hitter just based on his production. He's got a good eye and he's a better fielder than I really gave him credit for. He's, uh, he's mostly hampered by his body and his, yeah. uh, his, his overall speed. He's just, he's a slow footed guy, but 
he's really fundamentally sound. He makes all the plays that he can get to. He's he's got a decent enough arm to make the double play turn. I think he'd be just fine at second base. Um, I just don't know if he's going to hit enough for that to work. But uh, I know things have been trending up, I guess, lately. But I, every time I watch him, I'm just not terribly impressed in person. But uh, I could just be getting a lot of bad games. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we did have a couple questions that we can end the show with. But just thank you to everyone in the chat, like Christopher, Sam, Noah, Harrison, Detroit Generate, leaving great comments as always. Thank you guys for uh, making the show a little more interesting. Um, but Noah had a question. Uh, he asked about your thoughts on Ty Madden because he has been struggling a little bit. His ERA is about 4.4. Uh, down in double A. We know he had a good start to the season, but um, yeah, he was just asking um, what are your thoughts were on Ty Madden and his struggles as of late? Well, I mean, I, I open that one up to you guys. If you've seen much of him or if you've paid a lot of attention, I, I don't want to monopolize the conversation here. No, no, go ahead, Chris. I'm only studying <laughs> box scores. So you, yeah, uh, me too. So uh, yeah, it, Madden and Flores are, have, have kind of been two of the most frustrating players in the Tiger system this year because they've taken small steps backward um, or at least, you know, stagnated, if you will. The other, I guess you could also complain about maybe Dingler and Crouch is, is that same category of guys who just haven't seemed to be taking step forward. But uh, Madden is particularly confusing because he, you know, he looks so good in his first start of the year. He looked like he had a, a brand new, like dastardly knuckle curve. He was throwing fastballs by guys and he just hasn't looked close to that since. And part of it, I think, for me is, uh, and he's one of those guys whose fastball doesn't have ideal. It's kind of a Reese Olsen fastball, right? Like he, he can throw it pretty hard, but it doesn't have ideal shape and it doesn't really miss bats. Uh, but he's got other stuff to go with. But to me, he's it's he's kind of strangely unathletic. If that makes sense. Like it's not necessarily. I don't know, there's a little bit of like a, a robotic op, uh, level to his operation when he's uh, pitching. And he just seems to struggle to repeat his arm slot. And so what you'll get is his, he'll have sliders that'll be 81 and he'll have sliders that'll be 89. And they'll have, and I don't necessarily know if it's on purpose. Like, <laughs> uh, like it just feels like there, there are times where he can't get that arm slot and the pitch count goes up. And, you know, in, in the, his most recent start, he gave up back-to-back home runs to start the game. And one was on a, a breaking ball in, down and in to a lefty. And then one was on a 97-mile-an-hour fastball to Kobe Mayo, who mm-hmm. hit hit it to right field, just poked it the opposite field. Uh, and that was the first home run he's given up to a right-handed hitter all year. And it's just – it just everything just seems a little bit off. And, and Rahelio and I have talked about – you don't want to make too much about coaching, but Dan Rickleball was the pitching coach in Erie last year when, when they had a lot of success. Most of the pitchers were pitching really well. And the, the Tigers – moved him down to West Michigan, which may be a better thing for the organization overall. Sure. Get that guy working with pitchers at a younger level. But, and, and we've seen some promising results with the pitchers at West Michigan. But the result is, is that I don't know if the pitching coaches there in Erie, and I'm not, again, I'm not trying to like denigrate these guys. I just don't know if they have whatever magic touch it was that he had to maybe help guys make tweaks or get out of the funk that they're in. Mm-hmm. So it's, the stuff is still there. It just, I feel like he needs to figure out a way to, to throw it more consistently, which is, I, I guess, the name of the game once you're in the upper minors and, and the big leagues. And not to, he didn't ask about this, but on the Wilmer Flores front, um, he actually has looked, I think, significantly better the last three starts. 
for him. The last one, if you look at the numbers, weren't great, but we put out a, a tweet about what was going on in that game. That was some of the, the worst umpiring you'll see, at least from a balls and strikes standpoint. The mm -hmm. uh, Greg Gagne, the announcer for Erie, mentioned, and they have stats for this, that the home plate umpire in that game was statistically the worst in the Eastern League. He, he missed 36 balls and strike calls in the previous game. 36 yeah. in one game. Um, Looked like and, a young guy. Yeah, and, and I, it just seems like he's he, – and I'm not, I've never umpired. I, I think it's probably way harder than most people realize, particularly when you're dealing with guys throwing the mid to upper 90s with ridiculous breaking balls. But it seemed like he just couldn't call strikes in the bottom third. He just, he just couldn't. That's what um, I was going to say. I was watching – I watched, you know, once the hullabaloo came about, I tried to watch as much as I could. And, yeah, he, everything knee high and, you know, a couple inches either way, he was really struggling. No question about it. And and it just would like the point with Flores, his struggles earlier in the year were kind of related to just his stuff. His stuff was down. His fastball wasn't nearly as fast. His breaking balls weren't as sharp. He was working on a changeup. Uh, but in the last couple of outings, the fastball has been a little bit better. It touched 97 in his last outing. Uh, it was 96 the, the game before that. He's thrown better breaking balls. They have more late bite to him. So I think he's working his way through it, which is good to see. And I think maybe we'll see that later on this year from Ty Madden. At least you can cross your fingers. but. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any like huge reason for concern just yet. It's just like you got to pump the brakes a little bit because I remember after after his first start, Pat Caputo tweeted out that like there's hey there's no reason for the Tigers to not call him up. <laughs> listen, okay, listen, okay. And it's like all right, Pat. Yeah, okay. Let's wait a little bit. So yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we did have a question from Sean about Wilmer Flores. Just if you saw him more as a uh, like a closer, he asked like more in like the Mason Angler, uh, Garrett Hill type role. I, I wouldn't mind seeing him as a closer. I've always thought of him as a reliever. Um, his strikeout numbers are down this year, but I don't know if, you know, you or Chris, you had thoughts on what his long-term role could be. I think he'll get a chance in the rotation, but I don't know. I like the idea of developing young relievers. You know, maybe Reese Olsen could be that, but, you know, Jason Foley was a young you know, reliever, they kind of developed into that role. Same thing with Alec Lange. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't mind to see Wilmer Flores as, as that being his long-term fit with the Tigers in the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, so so we came into the beginning of last year kind of assuming that Flores would be a reliever because but prior to that, we basically had a handful of outings in the Complex League and then in Low A Lakeland, and then they sent him to the Arizona Fall League where he got beat up. But he flashed some really interesting stuff. He was throwing hard, good-looking breaking ball. I was like, okay, this is this guy's a reliever. And when you watch him pitch, you go, that's a reliever's delivery. He he falls off really hard. To, he like spins all the way around. Uh, but last year he threw tons of strikes, and there were quality strikes. And that's like the main concern with a delivery like that, right? Is he's not gonna have command. We did last year, and the stuff was good enough. He was throwing fastballs right by guys, right in the heart of the zone, which is a good sign. You don't want to live there, but if you can do it, do it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm kind of back now to probably 50, 50 that he ends up in the bullpen just based on what's happened. But I think you know, there's, there's, there's no harm in continuing to develop him as a starter. He doesn't seem to really have trouble pitching deep into games. His stuff doesn't get progressively worse as the game goes along. He's a big kid. It's, um, uh, it's just, I think it ultimately come down to, you know, the command and if his stuff would play up out of the bullpen. It'll be interesting, you know, we're talking basically, can he get through a lineup twice or at least two and a half times, mm -hmm. right, and survive? Uh, because, you know, 
30 years ago, the difference between a reliever and a starter was a wide chasm. Now, I mean, we, starters work less and less. I mean, it's not as big of a difference anymore. Uh, it's just a matter of can the stuff hold up for two trips through the order. Uh, and they got to believe they're going to give him every opportunity to prove that he can do it uh, before they ever even uh, give him a hint of the bullpen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought that Reese Olsen was more destined for the bullpen than than Flores, and they've given him a couple opportunities to start. And, and man, he's really kind of shut my mouth so far. Ooh. I'm still still waiting for the other shoe to drop if and when uh, hitters just learn to not swing at anything but fastball. But uh, maybe they won't. Maybe he's just going to carve them up with change ups and breaking balls, and that'd be awesome. That would be a great development. Um, but, yeah, I and, and not to go off on a tangent here, but, like, I just, yeah, I just feel like developing relievers is actually probably the easiest thing you could do in baseball now. Mm-hmm. That Developing big leaguers is not easy at any level, but there are gradations of it, right? Like, it's 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 really damn hard to develop a, a frontline starter. It's really hard to develop a middle-order bat. But you can develop relievers kind of kind of simply, I guess, is the best way to put it. And the, the example I'm using lately is, is Blake Holub who's a kid that uh, they drafted out of D2 St. Edwards in Texas. He was an outfielder and pitcher, two-way player. Saw him a little bit last year in Lakeland. He looked interesting, was touching 94, 95, 96, but wasn't throwing any strikes. It was looked like kind of all off balance. This year, he's throwing a ton of strikes. He's got a nasty fastball in terms of shape. Like, it's in the ride on it. It's, it's elite-level ride for a 94, 96-mile-an-hour fastball. He's upgraded his breaking balls. He's thrown more strikes. He's in double A. His first two outings, I think he's struck out five in three innings, something like that, maybe more. Um, and that's, like I said, that's just, there's just the baseline for arm talent in professional baseball is so high. And there's so many pitchers that you can kind of grab a bunch and figure out a way to make them a reliever. I was going to say, for a lot of them, there's no reason not to bring them on fast too. Yeah. in uh, in. But my 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 point with that was just just if there's a guy who has a chance to start, I think you give him as many chances as possible before you make that call because there are other ways. Yeah, like like you said, some of these relievers, Hob stuff would probably play in the big leagues right now, honestly. And this is a guy who was has barely been pitching. Uh, I'm sure they're going to want to refine some things and, sure. and have him see teams more than two or three times just so they can see how it plays. But yeah, stuff like that. You you can move a guy really quickly, but uh, it, it's harder to get those three or four pitches and learn how to go through the lineup two times. And so, I think you got to be a little bit more patient with guys like Flores and Men. Yeah, um, we do have one more question. I guess we can end the show on because I think people are kind of interested in talking about the draft. Uh, there's a question from JP Jonah about Walker Jenkins over Max Clark. Uh, he said, is Walker Jenkins over Max Clark strictly based on size, strength, and potential to even fill out more? Um, what are your guys' thoughts on kind of them two um, kind of comparing the two prospects and Clark and Jenkins? Well, just from what I understand and the video I've watched and everything you hear, I, just to make it really simple, I think Walker Jenkins is a guy who might hit 35 home runs. Max Clark is going to be a more varied game and hit 20 home runs. <laughs> you know what I mean? It could be as simple as that. Uh, and it sounds like Max Clark is more of a, uh, a sure thing to stay in center field, but uh, it's just a matter of what you're looking for, the big power bat or the more versatile player. Yeah, it's, it's a really fascinating uh, 
dichotomy there between those two players because you you do have with Jenkins you have like the prototypical he's six six three two oh five two ten or whatever probably gonna get bigger and stronger could grow into an ideal right fielder but right now he's apparently fast enough and athletic enough to handle center field and you never know sometimes guys like that move very quickly and stay in center field look at Riley Green nobody I think not many of us expected that we saw him making diving catches in West Michigan we're like okay that's fun it's not going to continue and then they're like all right it's going to continue now I don't know you know, long-term, I don't think Riley Green is, is your answer in center field just because you got to hope at some point they're going to find some guy who's like a 70 runner with 70 defense who could also hit. Maybe not. Um, but, yeah, so, like, and this is kind of where you fall back on those comps. you just like, are this he's kind of this, this kind of player. Baseball America kept comparing Walker Jenkins to Austin Meadows, which would be pretty good. You know, the healthy Austin Meadows. Uh, Tampa you know, Austin Meadows, yeah. Yeah, uh, but he's since they've been making that comparison, he's all the scouting reports this year were that he's actually more athletic and faster. So a more athletic, faster Austin Meadows sounds pretty good. The Max Clark comparisons can you run the gamut? You can hear, I you know people say, hey, maybe he's the next Corbin Carroll, who the Tigers just got plenty of <laughs> the other the other day or the other series. Uh, but he could also be a Pete Crow Armstrong type, who is actually who could hit. He's gonna run. He's gonna play plus plus defense and center, but he might not be much of an impact bat. Right. Or he could be a Mickey Moniak type who was the first overall pick and then just never did a whole lot. He's finally made it to the big leagues, but he's kind of just kind of hanging on. Fringy. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of that has to do with, with you know, Max Clark's uh, just physical projection. He's basically as big as he's going to get and as strong as he's going to get. Now they're, they're, you know, that they probably said the same thing about Jared Kalanick and he, he took that to heart and it sounds like Clark is kind of that, Type, type of player who's very like I'm going to prove you guys wrong I'm going to do this he all the rumors are that he really wants to be the first overall pick and he's willing to take a huge haircut to do that um I don't know but uh yeah I mean it's it's going to be one that's going to be fun to look back on in, in four or five years and be like well we blew that or wow we were right but yeah right now I just I, I tend to lean more towards the guys who, who have the physical projection but it's it's like razor thin if they took Max Clark I wouldn't be upset yeah, I think Tigers want the middle of the order here. They want some guys that can hit some home runs, and I think Walker Jenkins probably projects as a guy who has more power. But hopefully, you know, Wyatt Langford will be there at three, and we don't have to to make that debate because I don't know. I'd, I'd be really happy with Wyatt Langford, but oh uh, yeah, Walker Jenkins. I don't think it's out of the question. Dylan Cruz is there. I mean, just depending on how much money they want to spend on those other picks, I mean, it's very possible. Yeah, it, it's so the one thing that you keep seeing in mock drafts is that the the Nationals apparently like Paul Skeens quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if they had the chance to take Dylan Cruz or Paul Skeens, it would be I think that would be very difficult for them. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely a scenario where it's it's like Clark or Jenkins or Langford goes one and Skeens goes two, and there's there's Dylan Cruz waiting for the Tigers. Um, I don't know. I, I, Dylan Cruz has just been so consistent and so productive that I, I feel like it's going to be hard for the the Pirates to ultimately for them to pass up on him. But who knows? Like we said, there's some chicanery that happens with the bonus pools, and they did the Padres or the the Pirates did it a couple of years ago. They're not they got, afraid. They, they ended up getting five or six of like you know the top so-called like top fifty players in the draft. Yep. And uh, now Henry Davis looks pretty good, but he's not necessarily first overall good. But I'm sure they're fine with it. They're they're doing okay right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we have. It was a late night tonight. 
Um, but yeah, Tigers will be back at it against the Braves for two more, and then they got the Twins. So who's pitching tomorrow? Do we know? Reese Olson. There you go. It's gonna be gonna be a good one against Spencer Strider. Oh, my. Oh. oh, you know there was. I just want to mention that there was one fun thing that I. Uh, it was going to be my inside the numbers a couple of weeks ago, but I couldn't make it to the show. And it was it was the number of swinging strikes in baseball from pitchers mm-hmm. uh, since the beginning of May. And Spencer Strider is like number one at 165, and number two is Luis Castillo at 125. <laughs> and then it's like 70 more guys within 40, and it's it, Strider is just number one. Uh, by a million and so it's we were having some fun in the discord of like how many swinging strikes is he gonna get tomorrow is it you know 25 30 like, that's just Javi <laughs> Baez right yeah <laughs> it reminds me of the Max shirt when Max Scherzer faced the Tigers and didn't he have like 20 strikeouts or something yeah ridiculous? he struck out 20 yeah it's the fourth yeah. ever it was the fourth or fifth uh 20 strikeout game in MLB history Clemens oh. did it twice Randy Johnson Jackson. did it Kerry Wood Kerry Wood yeah so five yeah yeah. yeah, well, I don't know. Spencer Schreier did give up eight earned runs, I think, his last start, which, I mean, he's still one of, the, I think, the favorites for the Cy Young, even though his ERA is, you know, closer to four. But, you know, maybe the Tigers can get to him again. You know, crazier things have happened. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's the, a, the, a, the, a win is a win. Oh, yeah, a win is a win. You know, the Oakland A's have won five in a row, so anything's possible. The Tigers come out tomorrow and win another one with hell. Yeah. Yeah. I saw the Brewers fans were ready to jump off a cliff after oh dropping God. three of the yeah. Whew. But uh baseball's a long season. How many games are we in right now? Seventy? Uh, yeah. It's been a lot ups and downs, man. We've had a very up and down Anything? season. But sixty four games in the season. There's no ninety eight games left. Yeah. So, so it'll be an up and down season, but we'll be here to cover it. Uh, you know, draft coming up early next month. Should be a lot of good stuff coming out. But, um, but yeah, thank you for everyone who joined. And, um, yeah, we will see you back again on Thursday. And also make sure to check out Tired Minor League Report because uh, Chris and Raj, if you need any information about Tigers Minor League, they're the place to go. Secret information. I, I <laughs> would tell you, if anybody saw this, uh, Raj isn't here to, uh, to talk about this, but he was quite frustrated with something. And it's, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's not uh, – it doesn't matter. But he got news about uh, – a promotion like some players moving up mm-hmm. Saturday morning but he sat on it because he was supposed to he knew that he, he's like hey I can't do this and then and then Lynn Henning breaks it last night uh, yeah. uh, like you know, like 7 p.m on Sunday night and he's like yeah. he was just really frustrated because it's like you know it wasn't supposed to come out until today it was just officially announced like an hour ago but uh you know I guess there's no there's no honor among uh, <laughs> among scoops oh. so, Beat writers beat each other up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But um, yes, thank you guys for joining, and we will see you guys on Thursday.